You're listening to the Jesus Culture Sacramento Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching from our guest speaker. For more information on our church, visit jcsacramento.com. Family starts with Father. He wants us to know how much of an amazing Father He is. Like, I've been saved for 15 years, and I am fascinated that every day He wants me to talk to Him, and He wants to talk to me. It's not like, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. Like relationship isn't, listen, Lord, your servant's speaking. Relationship is, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. It's completely different. And outside of intimacy, that never hits you. And we're crying out to God, wondering if he hears us and wondering if prayers are breaking through. But Jesus had such an amazing breakthrough through the cross that you don't have to worry about breaking through because he broke through. Like God fulfilled both ends of the covenant. I don't know if you know this or not, but he did it all. And he wants us to stand in what he's done so that we can live in a place of of rest and not live in a place of stress and striving and trying to freak out to figure it out. And I've been fascinated with his love for me since the beginning of my life. I'm like, oh my gosh. I never have said, yeah, but God, he's just like, I love you. I know it sounds silly and this might sound very simple and you already got it, but like God loves you. (laughs) Like we're radically generous. We radically give, we do it. And we bless waiters, we bless waitresses. I don't care where, I was with Danny a couple years ago. We went to Olive Garden and he was on the phone and he was handling a, a call and a waitress came up and we're just like, sharing Jesus' heart and had a word about her like wanting a dance studio and like hurting her ankle and she's totally freaked out and she is not a Christian and she like she's got and it was at in Beth at in Reading so she has a bunch of people talking to her about God and how do you how, how many of you know some sow some water God brings the increase like you don't have to worry about the increase you just need to sow in water when the increase happens it's amazing but you're not in charge of increase God is So the pressure for performance is off because it's not about what you have to do for God. It's what you get to do with him. It's what we get to do as a family, as the body of Christ. Like some people sow and some people water and God like shows up big time, but it's not because of your great word. It's because of God's great goodness and his great love. So no one can take the credit for it. We just are like, yeah. So at the end of this meal, I think we tipped her. We tipped her big. And she like, she didn't just be like, wow. She went, ah, scream. <laughs> I think she ran in the back for a while. And other students from Bethel were at, working at Olive Garden. And they were like, this is amazing. The manager came out. That was awesome. And then Danny's like, yeah, let me do it too. And we double tipped her. And what do you do with that? You get overwhelmed because you believe that God was a thief. And you realize God so loved the world that he didn't steal. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God came to give us life and that we may have life abundantly. And God so loved the world that he gave. So as a Christian, that's what we are. That's why we give. Like, we can change cultures by the reality of radical generosity. By the reality of the, the, of the love of God. It's different. It's different when you're hurting for somebody than when you get hurt by somebody. Because Jesus paid a price for us to not have to be hurt by people. If anybody had the right to be hurt, it would have been our king. I mean, imagine that. Jesus hanging out with Peter and John. And like these three inner circle guys, like Garden of Gethsemane. Hey guys, watch and pray because I'm going over there, okay? All right, Lord, we got you. Can you imagine Jesus going over there and sweating as of drops of blood and crying out vehement cries for the guys that are crashing on you? The last stage of his, of his time on earth because he's about to give it all up. He's about to lay it all down. He didn't have his life taken. He gave it up. Like no one stole his life. He laid it down. That's what God does. He just lays it down. He's amazing. God gives. So he comes back to Peter and them and they're sleeping. Can you imagine this? Peter, I'm so done with you. Like how many times? I mean, gosh, look at you. 
That's just not the Lord. Can you imagine this? Him on a tree, hanging there, guilty for us, but he's not guilty. See, he who never sinned became sin, so that you and I might become something. But if we don't see what we've become, we'll constantly be trying to do to be, we'll be a doobie. (laughs) Instead of somebody that becomes the reality of what he paid a price for so that all our doing comes out of our being. And when you be right with God, everything changes. It's not about what you have to do for him, it's what you get to do with him. But you do it with him because you've become something. And when you see what you've become, the enemy no longer has a voice in your life. I'm so serious. Because we hear the Father. And when we hear the Father's voice, everything changes. The first voice that we need to hear and the only voice we need to hear is the Father's. Because when you hear the Father's voice, everybody else's voice is filtered through that. And then your response doesn't come because you're hurt by somebody. Your response comes because you're hurting for somebody. I shared it earlier today. I shared it all the time. Like when I go to talk to somebody that doesn't know who God is and they're cussing and swearing and freaking out, which happens an awful lot because I just happen to talk to everybody everywhere I go because God doesn't want me to be silent and you don't have to be an evangelist. You just have to be a believer. This is not about evangelism. This is about a lifestyle of a believer. That's why we have lifestyle growth. People are like, dude, you wear your shirt all the time because you want to promote your brand. I'm like, no, I wear my shirt all my time because I want people to ask me, what does that mean? I wear the shirt all the time because I'm convicted. Like as a Christian, we're called to a different place. You're a Christian. You're not a Christian. You're a Christian. A little Christ-like one. Jesus Christ. It wasn't Jesus Christ. It wasn't Mary and Joseph Christ. It wasn't. It was Jesus, the one anointed by God. And as a Christian, a Christian, you're a little Christ-like one that's anointed by God with the ability to anoint. You have the ability to crush hell everywhere you go. But the first place hell must be crushed is between your ears. We have to stop thinking like orphans and start thinking like sons and daughters because it's all about the spirit of adoption that you've received when you got saved. But Jesus didn't just say, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened down, pray a prayer to get to heaven. Is that amazing? And I know you know that because I'm in a great culture. I'm in a Jesus culture. So (laughs) I know you know that, but like I really believe across the board, everywhere I travel, it's the same common thing. We come to Jesus and we, we come to him and we, it says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened down by life, work to exhaustion, exhausted. Come to me and I will give you rest. So we do and we get born again and it's essential to unlock your potential and it's amazing. But born again means to be refathered. It means that now I'm fathered by a God that has actually come to live inside of me And now my communication with God is different. I'm not just wondering if he hears me. I'm communing with God. The love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion in the Holy Ghost. And the Spirit of God brings the deep things of God to the Spirit that's in man, the deep things in man. And whether I think I'm understanding this or not, I stay in it so that the Holy Spirit can breathe on it And the first place that the Holy Spirit does is he takes the word that's alive, sharp, and active, Hebrews 4.12, takes it, and he divides your soul from your spirit. So the first place it comes is he separates your soul from your spirit, man. Your spirit gets it, but your soul is like... Because it's jacked by the world. Your mind has been hijacked by the world. And you think the way that you thought before you got saved, except there's no more shackles, no more chains. And it's true because Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened down. Come to me and I'll give you rest. But then we neglect the next scripture, which is the most important part of it all. We come to him and he gives us rest. We learn from him and we maintain it. He didn't say, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened down by life. Come to me and I will give you rest. And then it it doesn't say, now, take my yoke upon you and learn from your pastor. (laughs) Take my yoke upon you and, 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 and be codependent on your counselor. Unless, of course, it's the Holy Ghost. We're not to be codependent upon people 
but we're to work together as family. And it says, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So it doesn't mean that we don't get wisdom from people. It just means that if I don't establish the initial contact of why he contacted me. See, God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever would believe within him wouldn't perish. That word perish doesn't just mean go to hell. That word perish also includes thinking like hell. I can't afford to think like hell. I have to think like heaven. The Bible says to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I can prove or approve what is God's will. And so me, a guy that's never read before because at 34 years of age, I was addicted for 22 years. No one, by the way, told me about Jesus. No one mentioned to me that Jesus was real. No one mentioned to me that he loved me. No one told me that God had a plan for my life. And I know that wasn't you because I didn't live in California. But no one shared the gospel with me. And the gospel is the good news. Like good news, like it's, it's gooder than good. And it's the goodness of God that leads us into repentance. It's the goodness and kindness and mercy of God. It's seeing him as a loving father and the reality of who, he's really, who he really is. And no one told me that. I'm not faulting anybody. Like I understand I was working on my testimony. I get it. But man, a couple years short wouldn't have hurt. And I just believe that the Bible says clearly in Ephesians that pastors and apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and all the fivefold gift, they're all for equipping the saints. They're not for equipping the sinners. What does it mean to be a saint? I mean, a lot of the church, no, not here, but a lot of the church thinks that you're blasphemy. You're a heretic. They actually, I am definitely a heretic in a lot of eyes. Guys, we have protesters at, I have protesters at my building every day protesting me. When they don't show up, I wonder if we did something wrong. I'm not upset. I'm excited. I want them to protest me. I want that. Jesus said, woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. The like protesting thing isn't a bummer. It's if you're living in sin and they're protesting you, that's a bummer. But if your heart is clean, your hands are clean, your heart's pure, and you're living completely devoted and in love with Jesus, and the only thing they're protesting you for is lies, or they're uncomfortable with miracles. So weird. It's because we... So weird. I've got these protesters that shout like Todd White, hell awaits you, wolf inside, chewing on sheep. Like They're like... He's a prosperity preacher. Like they've never listened to any message ever I've ever like said. If I have a prosperity message, it's because God wants us to be in good health and prosper even as our soul prospers. Because soul prospering is completely different. Because when you think healthy, when you think Jesus, when you think gospel, when you think finished work, when you think from what he's done for you, and when you think of all the things that God thinks, look, there are like more than 1.6 billion grains of sand in one cubic foot. And every thought is for your welfare. Every thought. What if you got a hold of 10 of them? <laughs> it says that God has more thoughts for me. It's in Psalms 139. I'm fearfully and wonderfully and wonderfully made. Are you with me? Look, let, let's talk about this a little. Like when I was born, my mom and dad weren't thinking, let's have a baby. My mom and dad were thinking, let's have sex. It's true. A lot of kids come into the world that they're all the same way, actually. All of them. Every kid came in the same way. There's no like, like, except Jesus. Come on. So like, on the night of conception, my mom and dad came together. There's like 80 million chances of me swimming up a birth canal headed for an egg. <laughs> 80 million chances. And I'm like the slowest of all. I am. 
It's scriptural. The last shall be first. Your mind has to be taught to not trust. Your mind has to be taught to this, taught to that. Your mind has to be taught that you're gay. You're not born that way. You're born in sin. <laughs> oh no, see, I'll preach the gospel. The good news. I, I, I will, because here's why. Because I won't stand before the Lord and answer for your life. I'll stand before the Lord and answer for mine. But I won't stand before the Lord and answer for messages that I preach that are watered down. I won't stand before the Lord and answer for a compromised message that negotiates truth for the sake of, of satisfying culture. No, I won't. I love Jesus. I love the Lord with all my heart. I don't hate people that are, of, of, that are gay or homosexual or lesbian. I don't hate that. I don't hate anybody. I hated myself until God showed me that I could love myself. Not love myself in an arrogant way. I can love who God created me to be because I never saw it. But when I read this, I fell in love with who he says I am. Are you with me? <laughs> oh boy. Who cares how many likes you have on Facebook when you have love? I'm okay with Facebook. I'm not against it. You can use it for amazing things. But like, there's so many people that care more about like what people think about them than what God has said about them. And there's so many people that live by the love of people that don't know the love of God Then really it's just what it is, is it's disguised as the love of people, but really what it is, is it's a lack of the fear of the Lord. You guys okay? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Like, you read this Bible, start reading the Psalms and try to get away from the fear of the Lord. You can't. But the fear of the Lord isn't being afraid of God, the fear of the Lord is being so in love with God that you wouldn't want to do anything to violate the relationship that you have. So I can be so in love with God. Like I had a relative that was a couple years ago and she was, she's a, she was a Christian and she's living with her boyfriend. And I said to her, like, this is not okay. And she said to me, because I preached the gospel, she said to me, and now she's very close to the family, like very close. She said, don't you try to tell me that God doesn't love me. I said, that would be a lie because it's not true. Like, God loves you no matter what you do. If God so loved you when you were such a horrible sinner, twist, like when I was lost, God said, I want that one. Like no one finds God, God finds you because God's been looking for you and talking to you for a long time. You just, your ears were closed and your eyes were closed. Are you with me? She said to me, she goes, don't you try to tell me that God doesn't love me. I said, absolutely not. I said, the fact that you want to live this way and say that you love God proves that you really don't love him because your life needs to line up with whether you love him or not. Because love is not just a theory, love is an action. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. And he didn't even give us hard ones. Like there's 613 laws and 10 commandments in order to like, like, be right in your own like strength. You have to obey everyone without missing any. So Jesus is like, there's no way they can do that. God saw it. He didn't want it that way to begin with, but man chose a man to represent, chose Moses. God wanted to like teach him the fear of the Lord. Come on. Moses said, let's go to the mountain. They're like, no, we're going to die. Don't let us talk to him. We'll die. Moses is like, no, it's good. God wants to put it in you. They're like, no, you do it. I'm like, ah, oh bummer. We'll listen to you. They never listened to Moses. <laughs> never. No. Are you with me? So God wants to put it, he wants to put 
the fear of the Lord in us because it crushes the fear of man. It annihilates. You cannot have the fear of the Lord and the fear of man. But the fear of the Lord isn't because he's angry. The fear of the Lord isn't because he's bitter. The fear of the Lord isn't because he wants to spank you. The fear of the Lord comes because you see how good he is and how amazing and how much he really loves you. Like he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. There's no other petals on the daisy. And when you're done, they just regenerate because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's just regenerative. It's amazing. Are you with me? So powerful. God. So I said to her, I said, you just don't love God. She said, he who loves me obeys my commandments. He who doesn't won't. That's pretty simple. You're, like, You're a legalist, Jesus. What? Well, I'm pretty sure people are like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell God a thing or two. I don't think so. I don't think so. Or how about the people that have tattoos? Only God can judge me. You don't want that. I see them in the gyms, big muscle bound. Only God can judge me. I'm like, oh, dude, you just got hurt in church. It's usually a church hurt tattoo. I'm serious. Because somebody brought correction. It could have been bad. It could have been good. But they took it as I'm my own boss and only God can judge me. And when you stand before him, you don't want that. We're all going to have it. But you want to be clean when you're there. Are you with me? Are you, are you here? Like when I stand before him on that day, I want to hear, well done. I don't want to hear, look what you've done. Like, I think sometimes as Christians, we like push that off. Like, we're like, no, no, no. I said yes to Jesus. There's no more shackles. There's no more chains. No, no, no. I, don't forget what Revelation says. Revelation says the bride has made herself ready. It didn't say that Jesus made the bride ready. Guys, it's real. Like the bride has made herself ready. Yeah. There's the making of yourself ready. There's the preparation time. Like you're in a dressing room for eternity right now. And the bride makes herself ready in the dressing room. And it's because of her love for her husband. Oh God. <laughs> I love Jesus. But I, I'm not a legalist. I love him. I love him so much. And God became my father. And I'm so excited that he chose me. I didn't choose him. But when my yes met his yes, it was amazing. But when I started to read this amazing book, I started to see this as a love letter. And I looked at chapters that were hard and I'm like, that's what I need. Are you with me? Like Jude. Like no one reads Jude. Like it's one page. One page. Read it. You'll be like. It's amazing. The only reason you wouldn't want to read it is because there's active sin that you're participating in that you know is wrong and you want your cake and eat it too. But if you taste and see that the Lord is good, you won't want to eat that cake no more. Besides, sugar is not good for you anyway. Has to be keto cake. Hey, all right, sorry. I'm fascinated by his love. I'm fascinated. Why do we witness? Because God so loved the world he gave. Why do I witness? You know, there's a difference between doing witnessing and becoming one. There's a difference. I can become a witness. That's easy. Doing witnessing is hard. Becoming one is different. See, Jesus wrote the Beatitudes. Like, it's your attitude of being. It's not your attitude of doing. It's not the do attitudes. Because until you submit, surrender. Because God's not looking for you to like incorporate him. 
He's looking for full surrender. It's all or none. It's for or against. It's gather or scatter. You think that you're safe straddling a fence, but the fence belongs to Satan. It's not okay. And I'm not saying it's you. If the shoe fits, kick it off because it's not your shoe. I feel like my heart cry is to bring Christians to Christ. Like to a closer intimacy relationship to where I can actually have communion. To where every day, like he can speak to me any day, anywhere I'm at about anything. Where like, I'm like, Lord, anything you see in my life that's not okay, cut it off. Like that's not opening myself up for attack. That's opening myself up for fathering. Like the Lord says chastisement is good for you. We're like, no way, that's beating. No, that's instruction. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. That's just the instruction of the Lord. Like John 15, God's the gardener, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. Like why would you want to go to heaven with a withering branch anyway? Why wouldn't you want that thing cut off? Like God wants us to be short bushy trees. Like (laughs) where we wouldn't have to sell our fruit, we could just have people pick it. Because in the fruit is the seed and the seed reproduces after its own kind. And it's like, how healthy is that? But when I read the word, I want God to shine the spotlight of his word inside of my heart and take out whatever needs to go. I don't want to be in a place of just reading the things that I like to read. I want this book to get in me so that I can think the way that God thinks. I don't want to think the way that man thinks. That guy was crucified with Christ, but that mindset wants to live and that mindset needs to be completely shattered. We can't afford to be the church in the day that we're in right now, especially in the state of California, and be like compromising the standard of real good. We can't take good and make it evil and call evil good like the world is. There has to be something separate. It says come out and make yourself separate. Come out and be separate. Doesn't mean don't hang out. That just means separate yourself completely in your heart so that you want nothing to do with it. And it has no call in you. Jesus said the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Are you with me? This isn't too legal, yeah? Look at my hair. I promise. Legal isn't in me. Love is. It's amazing. So look, 80 million chances of me going up a birth canal, headed for the egg, and all the rest of the swimmers headed there on the night of my conception. My dad just came home from Vietnam. My mom looked good to my dad. My dad was drinking. Hey. They weren't married. They weren't in covenant. They weren't thinking, yay. They were thinking, "Mm mm-hmm. Everybody else has jackhammers, sledgehammers, trying to get in the egg. (laughs) Saws. But when I get there, I don't have a saw. I don't have a jackhammer. I don't have a sledgehammer. I have destiny. And when I get there, I have nothing except me. And God parted the other swimmers like the Red Sea. And I... What? I read in scripture that all life comes from God. I read in scripture that God knit me in my mother's womb, whether my mother wanted me or not. God knit me there. God formed me in the secret place. Are you with me? So God was my father before I even knew that he was. (laughs) And from inside the egg, my voice that's never heard the voice of the world says, sorry guys. I was predestined before the foundation of the world. And if you start there, that's right, before he formed me, he knew me. Psalms 139, it's so powerful. I live here. Like people are like, dude, you're like psycho. You're out of your mind. No, I'm out of yours. I believe this book, man. Like, I live in it. Like, this is the first book that I could read in my whole life. I couldn't read before 34 years of age. The Bible became the first book I could read. And it read me. It was different. I didn't, and I never studied this thing to preach. Wow, that's dangerous. Because anybody can preach a sermon. It's not about preaching a sermon. It's about preaching who God's created you to be. It's about, and I'm not against finding things and, and preaching it. I'm telling you that if the only reason I have this book and a, 
and, and a pulpit is so that I can study this thing, preach a good message, tickle your ears, it won't change your life. But if I preach out of what God's done in my life, it'll change yours. Why? Because it's a testimony, and the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Testimony means do it again, do it again and again and again. And it's powerful. Like, what would it be like for you to live free from guilt, shame, and condemnation? It would be the gospel. I'm not kidding. Like, I have lived for 15 years free from guilt, shame, and condemnation. And I'm not faulting people that have it. I'm telling you there's victory. Are you with me? Because like people hear me like, wow, man, gee, that does it. I'm... No, guilt, shame, and condemnation were exactly what the law brought. But we take this thing of legalism, we come out of legalism and into the spirit, we swing the pendulum so far, we go over into this fake grace place that's not real, and we live by the spirit and we forget truth. And we need the perfect marriage of spirit and truth. God doesn't want you to be so heavenly minded you're earthly a flake. He wants you to be so heavenly minded that you're earthly incredible and the world needs more of you around to function. Because we have the answers. Are you with me? Danny, am I okay? Thanks, buddy. I love those guys so much. You guys are so blessed, man. When I got saved, I was lost, man. I mean, I, I wasn't a little lost. But like all of you were the same. Some of us think we weren't as lost, but you're wrong. Because <laughs> in the standard of the law, if you break one, you've, you've transgressed them all. So whether you're the most horrible person or the nicest person, you're still equally as twisted. <sighs> People told me when I got saved, they're like, Todd, wow, you know, the reason why you love so much is because of how much you've been forgiven. And I'm thinking, that sounds great. And it is in the Bible. It's in Luke 7. I'm like, Lord, you have to teach me. And the Lord said, the reason why the church can't love is because they don't know how much they've been forgiven. Because when you connect with the reality of the complete forgiveness of God, you become love. And you realize you don't deserve anything. Entitlement breaks off of you. Like, done. Finished. People are like, well, you don't understand what they did to me. They're going to get what they deserve. Well, if you want what you deserve, go to hell. <laughs> that's what you deserve. I'm not sorry if I offend any of you. I'm not. I love you. I love you with all my heart. But I'm not here to make fans. I'm not here to like... I'm not, I'm not here to preach what you want me to preach. I'm here to like hear God. I need to hear God right now. Right now for this moment. I'm gonna hear, need to hear God when I'm at the airport. I'm gonna need to hear God on the plane. I need to hear God when I get off the plane. I need to hear God during my phone calls. I need to hear God during counseling. I need to hear the Lord. I, don't, I am not a fan of telling people what they want to hear. Whoa, no way. Then my persecutors wouldn't come anymore. And that would be sad. Can I just tell you a real quick testimony? I have a little girl, her name's Briley. So we had celebration day because we, we purchased a building. It's like 200,000 square feet. We have kindergarten through 12th grade on one side. And we have a school in there, there, a Christian school. And then we have our sanctuary that will eventually house 3,000 students. We're starting our second year with 400 students. And like everybody told me, there's no way. I had Christian leaders that said, listen, you don't even own a 7-Eleven. You guys are buying a Walmart. And I'm like, that sounds like the Lord. And, and like, it's crazy, seriously. So we're, so um, in and out which is from the Lord, they were there, they are. They love Jesus, do you know that? So they're there, they sent up a tent, their truck came, they're giving out like free cheeseburgers, it's glorious, like the wedding feast. And we're doing our celebration service and the protesters are out there just screaming and yelling in their microphones and it's the craziest. They're just yelling the weirdest things. So weird. Not the Lord. Gosh. So, like, we have slides and bounce houses and set up and my, my, my seven-year-old at that time, now she's eight, but my seven-year-old's like, that's not very nice. 
And so she's like, I need to go talk to them. So my little Briley goes out to the protesters and there's a groups of them. They have these GoPros on their chest. They're like, I don't even, they're not out there today. It's amazing. They follow me. I don't even get it. Are they here today? They don't ever come in. They just stay out there and yell at people. So Briley goes up to him. She goes, excuse me. She goes, that's my dad. You said Todd White hell awaits you. And they were like, that's your father. You should be ashamed. And they start like yelling at my daughter. She doesn't have an adult with her. She has like an adult, like probably a hundred yards. But I tell them to stay clear. Don't go over, start a fight. Don't pick a fight with them. They just want to film your response. They're trying to bait and switch. And so Bradley's like, Bradley's like, why do you have Todd White hell awaits you? And they said, oh, that's your father. You should be ashamed. And they're screaming and yelling at Bradley. And Bradley's like just smiling at them. Like, why are you so mad? And so Briley looks at him, she goes, she goes, well, my daddy preaches Jesus. And they were like, not the Jesus, the this, that. Well, if my daddy's going to hell and he preaches Jesus and the gospel and God so loved the world that he gave his son, if we believe in him, we wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. If my daddy's going to hell, where are you going? Like calm and cool, like she's only seven. What would it be like to raise a generation that doesn't get offended? And Bradley goes, do any of you need healing? Because I could pray for you and Jesus would heal you. Oh. That's the last thing that the protesters want to hear, I can promise. So Bradley's like, which one of you has pain? I want to pray for you. (laughs) You're not praying for us. You're just as bad as your father. Ah." Bradley goes, I see you in your camera. (laughs) She goes, you could come into our building and you could get saved right now or we could pray right here. Uh, It's amazing. Is that the Lord? (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> how, how long can I stay out here? I'm not done. I got, a, I got more. Am I okay? Yeah, I know, but. Oh, no. Yeah, I start school in the morning. Whoa. Hey, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. So Bradley tells them about Jesus and they all just like give up yelling at her. She goes, he loves you guys so much. You need to know it. And she skips away and she gets on the slide. She goes down the slide. (laughs) Guys, when your heart's pure and you're going after Jesus, it doesn't matter what anybody says about you. You don't have to vindicate. You don't have to try to validate. God's vindicated you like he has through the cross. You know, when I got saved, I got radically born again. Like, I got shot at in a drug deal, gone wrong. But for five and a half months before that drug deal, I incorporated Jesus in. I went, I went in there and talked to this pastor, Dan, and he told me about giving my life to Jesus because he says I don't want it. I went in there suicidal. I was going to a gun cabinet. Instead of the gun cabinet, I went to the church because I opened a phone book and flipped open to churches. And I met Dan and he told me that I should give my life to Jesus. I just didn't understand what that looked like. And I thought, if I do this, I'm going to get my girlfriend to come home because she left me and my daughter. She took my daughter and left. We were together for nine years. So I, I prayed with this guy. I'm like, is that okay? I'm done. Like pretty much my prayer was whatever. If he wants my life, he can have it. That was it gave me his number. I went home, said, tell mommy, daddy found God. And she kicked and screamed. We got mommy to come home. And man, I told him everything was going to change that first night. I'm out on a coke binge, put my daughter to bed. I got the name of Jesus. Was out on a coke binge, got high, came home, same stuff, still condemned, still guilty, still shame, still afraid. So all this stuff, still screaming, still hooked on porn, porn from eight drugs from 11, still messed up, bad, jacked up, bad. 
So my girlfriend was like, you hypocrite, you liar. I came home 4.30 in the morning, you know, all the same stuff again. So I had a band. I was a singer in a band, and I was like the front guy. And we were a rowdy band, you know. And the guys came over to my house for band practice, and I said to them, I said, man, I said, dude, I said, I gave my life to Jesus, man. And they were all like, what? They were not like into the Jesus thing. They were all hardcore atheists, very angry, except one of them. He was my guitar player. He was my best friend in the whole world. And I said to him, I said, dude, I said, Jesus loves you. He goes, cool, man. Glad you found your path. Like all that, you know, he's real chill. <laughs> and all the other guys quit. They were all gone. We were together for like four years. We were an original band. We were planning on getting signed and like really going after it. I was the front guy, you know, and rowdy and getting people in bars to crush each other. And just silly. So he would come over for band practice. I would tell him about Jesus and we would get high and party, man. I mean, like, I'd be like, Jesus loves you, man. He's amazing. <laughs> and I really did. I partied so hard and got drunk and all that stuff. And, and man, he told me all the time, look, bro, I'm glad you like found your path, but you don't have to like try to make it mine. And I was all the time telling him, Jesus is real, man. So you got to meet this pastor. And he's like, I don't want to meet no pastor. I go, no, he's real. He's like, dude, you're real. Listen, you got to realize this Jesus thing is not any different than any other Christian out there. I'm like, no, I'm telling you, man, it's for real. And so I party with him and got high with him and told him about Jesus. He heard me fight with my girlfriend upstairs, punch holes in doors, come downstairs. Jesus loves you with a bloody hand, like crazy. And I didn't know any better. And I'm telling him and telling him and telling him and nothing's happening. Like as far as like bearing witness in his life. So five and a half months later, I went out one night, ripped off a wrong dealer. He's in my car. I'm ripping him off for a bunch of cocaine. Told me I had the right to remain silent. Anything he says, Kenan will be used against him in a court of law. I read my rights. I've been read my rights so many times. I'm ripping him off. Cocaine dealer. Kid. 15-year-old kid from New York City. So he gets out of the car. I pull over. I said, get out of the car. Put your hands on the hood. And he spins around. And he unloads a 9mm outside of my window. And I heard an audible voice say, I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? Now this is like, I mean, I've been extradited across America, kicked out of the military, in and out of jail my whole life, grew up and raised by the Masons from 11 years old. Like my life is tragic. It's a tragic mess. And all I did was manipulate, maneuver, and hurt people my whole life. And God shows up in a drug deal, spares me. And I go home that night after I did all the cocaine, couldn't get hot. Pull in the driveway, there's not one bullet hole in my car from 10 feet and the voice won't go away that kept me from getting high and it's I go to the door she says get out of my life I left made the decision to go away to a place called Teen Challenge lost my girlfriend lost my daughter lost everything and I called my friend Bobby and I told him I was going away I told him I got shot at and he goes what do you mean you got shot at are you in the hospital I'm like no the guy was right outside my window but I heard this voice he's like Todd he goes, the guy was a bad shot and you're hearing voices. And I said, no, you don't understand. Like it was God. He said, I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? He was a good dad, three and a half year old kid, seven and a half year old kid, amazing father, world standard wise. Like good guy. They owned their house. They got a lawsuit when he was younger because he was going down some mountain trail on his bike and hit a chain and almost like cut himself in half as a kid. And so like he got that lawsuit, got it at 18, paid everything off. So they're, they're set. They got everything. And like, this guy is amazing, but this Jesus thing, he didn't need him. Definitely not the one that I gave him. And so he's like, dude, you need help. I told him I was going away to rehab. I made a decision that I was going away to a place called Teen Challenge. I'm going to learn about Jesus. And he said, Todd, why would you go to learn about somebody that's not real? And I said, man, because he is real. You got to meet this pastor. He goes, I don't want to meet a pastor. Todd, look at your life. It's no different. And now you're going to throw it away and go to some place to learn about somebody that doesn't even exist. I said, I'm telling you, man, he's real. When I get back, we're going to play music and it's going to change. And he's like, I'm his only friend in the whole world. Like he's a hermit. He doesn't talk to a lot of people, but I've gained access to his heart. And I just want him to know that this is real. And he won't come and see a pastor. He won't. It's just, I mean, everybody's got people like that in their life. If not, you need new friends because we should be witnesses. And so I, I said to him, I said, dude, I said, I love you, man. I can't call you. I can't talk to you. I can't write letters to you. Nothing. I won't see you until I get back. 
And he said, that's okay, I'll be here for you when you come back. I said, man, I love you so much, you're my only friend. No, everybody else bailed, because all my friends were drug friends, like, and, and just all that stuff. Bar friends, party friends. So I lost my daughter, lost my girl, lost like a relationship that I had every, every, every day, pretty much, we'd talk on the phone, go away to Team Challenge. And on the way up there, I called Bobby to say goodbye left a message on his answering machine telling him how much I love him and I would see him when I get back, you know, and went to Team Challenge. I shaved my head. I had dreads before I shaved my head. They were in rebellion. I shaved my head and went in there bald and I'm like, I, I just, I'm done. I give up. And, and on the third day when I was in Team Challenge, I got a phone call from the pastor and he said, they brought me in the office. They said, hey bro, you, you need to sit down and talk to your pastor. I'm like, why? I'm like, oh my God, they they, they, they got to my house. They hurt my daughter, the drug dealers, because I'd ripped so many people off. I'd stole from everybody. And, and he said, and I said, man, what happened to Jackie? What happened to Destiny? He's like, it's not Jackie. It's not Destiny. It's Bobby. And I said, what happened? He said, Bobby had a brain aneurysm. I said, what is that? He said, your friend's in a coma. And I was so angry. I didn't even know God. I'm like, I know he's real because he talked to me. I know he's real because he saved my life. But I don't know him. And I ran upstairs to the prayer room instead of running outside and I'm crying my guts out, screaming and peace hit me the first time in my whole life. The peace that only comes from right standing with God. So I have peace with God because I've been justified by faith. Righteousness is God's answer. It's, it's the cross, it's the finished work. God takes your sins, removes them as far as the east is from the west. It's the covenant he makes with us. And I'm up there, first time I have peace, and God says, you're not going anywhere. Like, I had nothing to give anyway. I'm glad I didn't bail. And I was there for two months, and overwhelmed with God's love for me, the Bible became the first book I could read. And it's my favorite book in the whole, like, there's nothing like it. Because I met the author, and he's the finisher of my faith, but he's also the the one that inspired every book on these pages and I'm every page on, on the book and I'm, I'm so fascinated with it. So I'm in there and I have these three nights where I meet Jesus in these dreams. I mean, I got like, I got so delivered from drugs, alcohol, that stuff. I, I came home from Teen Challenge after my third night with Jesus and I didn't have a place to live. I, I got to my house and, and I, I'm so fascinated with God's love for me and my daughter comes running out of the house. I didn't realize what it meant to be a father, but that day I knew what it was to be a father. I'm holding my daughter, first time ever, seven and a half year old kid. I'm holding her as a father. I love you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like legit sorry, not like sorry I got caught. There's a difference. I'm holding her, telling her I'm sorry and I love you so much, honey. I'm going to be a dad and show you what it's like to have a father because I know who God is and I'm going to show you who God is. She's like, Daddy, I'm so glad you're home and I have to tell her I can't live there. Daddy can't live here. Daddy's hurt everything, honey. I'm sorry. She said, Daddy, this is your home. And I'm like, you don't understand, honey. I'm so sorry. I can't live here. And I'm like, this is going to take a long time. It's my kid. I'm loving her. You know, my girlfriend comes out and I said, I am so sorry. I have ruined your life. I threatened her life for seven years. If she left me, I would kill her. I mean, literally, literal threat, like did, really. It was legit. I would have done it. I thought about it, contemplated it. I thought about suicide every day. How could I end my life? And it's all gone. Like, it's amazing. So she looks at me and she said, when you went away, I gave my life to Jesus. And I was like, oh my God. But here's what happened. The conviction of the Holy Spirit hit my heart in such a way that I've never felt before. It shook me. And he said, you're not moving in. And then I thought, oh my God, I can't live here. Like, it wasn't like I had the temptation to do it. Something shifted in me so big because the reality of covenant had hit my heart. And I'm like, I'm not living, I'm not living here. And my girlfriend looks at me, she goes, no, 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 we need to be married. And I'm like, oh my God. I looked at Dan, I go, we're gonna plan this. He goes, you're not planning nothing. We'll do it in between first and second service on Sunday. And I'm like, all right. So all of a sudden this thing hit me. My heart's pounding like crazy. 
I found it to be the reality of being trained in righteousness who have your senses trained to discern between both good and evil. It's the strong meat. Righteousness is the strong meat. And God's pounding my heart saying, your house is full of trash. Remove it. And no one was watching me. And I had this understanding that God's eyes were on me. It's never left. This is 15 years. I go through my house with a trash bag and I get rid of the porn, the alcohol, the drugs, all the stuff that used to call my name. Pornography called my name. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm going through crying. My heart's pounding. I'm shaking, trembling, putting all the stuff in. I have a trash bag full of stuff. I go out the back door when no one's looking. I go to the trash barrel. I put it in there and I sledgehammer it down because it won't fit. And I get gasoline and I douse this thing. I didn't remove the stuff because I was going to be tempted to use it when I moved in. I moved it because it has nothing to do with me and nothing for me, me to do with it or it with me. Like, this is really powerful. See, Jesus paid a price for us to have the mind of Christ. If I love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, my hand can't cause me to do nothing. Because my mind has to premeditate it. It's when my mind's not full of the love of God and the reality of what he thinks about me and knowing what my father has done for me and he wants to do through me. Are you with me? Because when this thing changes and when we see the reality of the end, where in 1 Corinthians 2 it says, but we have the mind of Christ. When we see that and when the reality of that hits our heart, the love of God becomes so profuse that we'll never want to sin and get away with it. It's not an option, because I love God. And I love me. And neither of those things are good for me. Because it's not good for my Father. And representing Him. And I'm so excited. And I burned, I put a trail of gasoline, I lit that thing, and it's burning. And when it gets down, I go up to the barrel, and I worship Jesus of my past. Look, that stuff has never had a voice in my life. Like, it's gone. It's been gone. People are like, well, you can't be free. No, Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes to not look lustfully at a woman. And Jesus says, adultery is not just committing the act, it's looking. So why would he say that if we couldn't be free from it? <laughs> so my wife and I get married four days later in a service with a church that I lived as a hypocrite in front of for five and a half months. So no one believed me. <laughs> except God. We get married, and it's amazing. And I, I, we consummated our marriage that day. Like, I, I can't even explain to you how amazing this is. Because love isn't just sleeping with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That's not love, that's lust. People say, well, you know, it's just a piece of paper. No, it's not, it's covenant. It's different than, than, than a piece of paper. No, it's, it's covenant. And I'm like so excited. So the next day, like after our marriage, I hear in my heart, go and visit your friend. So I go up to the convalescent home where my friend is, where Bobby is. And I go up there and I visit him and he's got his brain cut away. It was the hardest day of my life. I, like I've, I've not had a harder day than that ever. And I walked in with my seven and a half year old kid and I went in and I sat beside the bed and I said, hey, bro. And he's in a coma, you know, and I don't know about healing. I don't know any of that. All I know is I was lost and now I'm really found. I mean, I, I was blind. Now I see. Like, I was dead and I'm alive. My friend, all he knew was lost, blind, and dead to me in my life. And so I'm trying to share with him and I just told his wife, I'm so sorry. She says, why are you sorry? Like, you didn't do this. I go, no, 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 I didn't show him Jesus. She goes, Jesus? And I mean, they're atheists. She starts screaming at me, telling me, Jesus, look at my husband and you're gonna tell me about Jesus? I said to her, I'm so sorry. She goes, shut up. And she went in the corner and held her hands on her ears. And I'm looking at my friend and he's not there. He's just not home, he's gone. I'm like, bro, he's real, man. I'm sorry. This isn't a guilt thing. People hear me wrong sometimes. It's not guilt. It's conviction. See, I wasn't convicted of righteousness before this. I was convicted of sin. 
but I didn't obey my convictions, so it turned into condemnation. And I lived with condemnation. But when I got saved, and when covenant was revealed to me, I got convicted of righteousness. So now I'm standing before a friend that I can't go back and fix it because regret produces death. I can't fix it. But I have to tell him I'm sorry and he's not hearing me. He's not there. And I started singing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. My daughter's crying, you know. It's traumatic, man. This is my best friend. And for 30 seconds, I was, I was aware of all the guilt of, hey man, Jesus loves you, hey man, Jesus loves you, hey man, Jesus loves you, hey, Jesus loves you, man. Of all the porn, all the stuff still in my life. And he cut, God took it away. And he's made me sun conscious for 15 years. But that day, when I told him how sorry I was, when I left the convalescent home and I got in the car, I didn't weep with tears of regret. I wept with godly sorrow in a place of a place of real repentance because that would never happen again in my life but it convicted me and hit me with this thing called the fear of the Lord that was already happening in my life but it really hit me I went home and my wife and I cried and the next day she called me and told me that Bobby died the next morning and she said to me she goes you were Bobby's only friend he would have wanted you to speak at his funeral uh, oh. and I'm like God God, help me. And I'm talking to my wife. I really need help here. I need grace. Help. And I couldn't sleep all night long. And God spoke to me and he told me, he said, Todd, I want you to write what it is to be a friend. And immediately, the Lord said, a friend lives down his life. <laughs> Greater love has no one than this. And he was lay his life down for his friend. And as I got to the funeral home and I looked at Bobby's body in the casket, and his little kids that came up and shook the coffin saying, Daddy, wake up. I'm like, oh God, we got one shot at this thing. And I sat there and I had to talk. They were all atheists. There was no Christians in the whole house, all of them. And I shared my heart on what it was like to be a friend. And I wasn't a friend in the band that quit. They're there sobbing because death. But for me, death doesn't have a sting because one day I'm going to die but for me to live is Christ death doesn't have I don't have a fear of it because I'm going to go be with Jesus but Bobby he died saying I believe in you I don't believe in Jesus and I had to tell his kids that my name is not the only name under heaven in which men can be saved that name is Jesus and I lived as a hypocrite in front of your dad but I promise you It'll never happen again. And that pastor gave the altar call and half the funeral home came and gave their life to Jesus. But I, but I have a serious question for you right now. The life that you're living and your love for Jesus, is it displayed in your actions, in your thoughts, and in your words. Not just your preacher, your ministry. Because I just want to ask you this. If compromise or if hypocrisy is in your life, I would love for you to come up front right now. I would love for you to make your way to the front and not be ashamed of what anybody says. Because who cares? Because people are dying and going to hell. It's not okay. You don't have to like be, God's not asking you to be perfect. He's asking you to be holy. And being holy is just being surrendered and submitted to God. He's allowing this book to be your standard. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for lovers. He's looking for people that would love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, with all their mind. He's not looking for people that are perfect. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. But the reality of this thing is, is we need Jesus. And I'm telling you right now that if boyfriend, girlfriend, a guy and a guy, whatever, it's all immorality. And one day in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says we have as our ambition to live right there in that section, to live our lives pleasing here. To be pleasing here and to be pleasing there. Be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. 
This isn't a hard word, but I believe it's a timely word right now for the whole body of Christ. Because the, the enemy is stepping up the game, man. And we can't afford to sacrifice truth on an altar of trying to be culturally relevant. We can't afford to live by feelings. If you love her, marry her. Stop playing games. Stop sleeping with her saying, you know what, it's okay. I mean, I love you, right? No, every time you do it, you know it's wrong, but it feels good, so you think it's right. But after you're done, it's condemnation. We don't have to live in guilt, shame, and condemnation, guys. We can live in faith, and we can go after Jesus with everything we are. We are. We can go after him with everything we are. And I really love you with all my heart. And I really want you to know that God loves you more than, than I love you. And I love you with every part of me. But God's way big. He wants us to raise a generation that would live in a place of holiness, that would live in a place of the fear of the Lord, that wouldn't fear man, but we wouldn't have junk in our closet. Do you understand that when you got saved, God canceled your lifetime subscription to issues? Serious, he returned it to sender. But when we actively engage in stuff that we know is wrong, and we're like, okay, we're kind of like, we've incorporated Jesus instead of surrendering our whole life to Jesus. And we honestly just need to give him everything. Because it's not about a little bit, it's about a lot. All God's asking us to do is to give up who we were never created to be so we can finally become who he says we are. All God's asking us to do is to give up who you were never created to be so you can finally step into who he says you are. This isn't a condemnation call, it's a freedom call. I feel like Braveheart calling the body of Christ to freedom. I really do. Banning? Is Banning here? Come help me. Now it's for real. said, come help me. You're on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I want to bring you into this. So yeah. you go down on Facebook with me. No, I'm just kidding. I love you, man. But it's time the body of Christ, it's time we, we say the hard things. And it's time we step into a place. Look, society is, society is crying out. Culture is crying out for us to be the real thing. And one of the hardest words for me is when a Christian comes up to me and says, man, you're the real deal. Because that means that lots of people are the fake deal. And that's not okay. And one day when we stand before the Lord, it says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll answer for the deeds done in the body. That doesn't, it's not a, oh my gosh, you're a legalist. It's, it's really going to happen. And wouldn't we rather stand with a clear conscience and a clean conscience now? Like you can't even approach the throne of grace unless you have boldness and your boldness doesn't come through your strength. Your boldness comes from your weakness and your submission to the reality of the finished work and the righteousness of God that's in Christ Jesus. What you've become. And when you live what you've become, from that place you'll never have to do to be ever again. You'll never live in performance. You can live in the grace of God. But the grace of God calls us, calls us to truth. And the truth of God is empowered by the grace of God. Grace and truth came through Jesus. But grace enables this book to open. Grace is the divine inspiration of God upon the heart with the outward reflection of God upon your life. You can't have God's outward reflection of himself upon your life unless grace empowers you to understand what truth calls you to. And your life looks like this book. And you become a living epistle known and read by all men. For your life is a living epistle where people see you and they're like, that's the word. And miracles are the byproduct of sonship. They're not the focal point. But miracles should follow you everywhere you go. It's not like an option. But I would hate to be trained in miracles and trained in prophecy and be an amazing prophet, be amazing like, and I'd be so trained towards gifts that I'd forget my identity. Because on a day when God says, on that day when they say to me, Lord, Lord, it's in Matthew 7. People have explained it all kinds of different ways. The way I see it is that they'll say to me, Lord, Lord, on that day, and, and they'll say, didn't we do? Didn't we heal? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we perform great signs and wonders? And a lot of the church is like, no, you don't want to do miracles because it's demonic. That's not what he's saying. He said, no, they said, didn't we do? Didn't we do? God says, away from me, I never knew you. 
There's a difference between you saying you know God and you knowing that God knows you. There's a depth that we need to step into as the body of Christ, into the place of knowing that God knows you, but he doesn't just know about you. He wants to know you. He wants you to commune with him, but God sees everything that goes across your screen before you even thought of doing it. He knows every thought that you think before you even think it. But what if our thoughts lined up with his thoughts? Are you with me? This isn't condemnation. This is freedom. Are you with me? Thanks for listening to the message of the week. Hungry for more? Search Jesus Culture on your podcast platforms to check out more from our Jesus Culture podcast network.